This is the London Live Podcast. Listen live weekdays from 1 to 3 on 980 CFPL. Right now, let's look at something that being almost three weeks into a new year might be coming up in some situations. The idea that you try and turn over a new leaf when a new year begins. You know what? I'm going to do this. And a lot of times it is, I'm going to get in shape or I'm going to lose those pounds that I've been meaning to lose. And sometimes fad diets can get involved. And today just happens to be Rid the World of Fad Diets and Gimmicks Day. And it's our pleasure to welcome to London Live Dr. Rachel Goldman, licensed psychologist, clinical assistant professor in the Department of Psychiatry at the NYU School of Medicine. Dr. Rachel, thanks so much for taking some time for us. How are things? Of course. Thank you so much for having me here. Let's talk fad diets because they're everywhere. I don't, I don't even know how to name some of them. You can say something that sounds ridiculous like the cracker diet. And I'm sure there's a cracker diet out there. Cracker Jack diet? Not sure, but maybe. What is the attraction, Dr. Rachel, to fad diets? Yeah, so fad diets have been around for, for years, right? We hear about them all the time. And like you said, I mean, there's the cabbage soup diet. There's, you know, the more popular ones people know, like the South Beach diet, um, Atkins diet. But what it makes them so attractable, yet making sure we understand that they don't work, is that, you know, they, they kind of guarantee these quick fixes, right? It's like if you're on this diet, you're going to lose weight. Um, and, and that's true, but you might be miserable doing it um, because fad diets do tend to be very restrictive. Um, but many people, especially this time of year, you know, there's a lot of advertisements out there and, and people are looking for, I mean, I think always, you know, people want quick fixes to things in life and, and it's weight loss is hard. Um, you know, obesity is a disease and it is not easy to lose weight. So people are looking for those quick fixes. If only there was that magic pill, right? <laughs> that, that magic pill exactly. that was completely foolproof, had no side effects, had nothing like that. And in essence, I guess that's what some of these things, the cabbage diet, ooh, cabbage diet, the soup yeah. diet, <laughs> things like that. It's, it's these things that go looking for it. Do people who go on some of these fad diets, do they experience at least a, a quick fix for a little while? So, so that's the interesting thing with, with fad diets. And, and I actually like to think about just the way that I define a diet in general, which is anything that is not sustainable. Um, so any of these fad diets, you know, fall into that category and people will lose weight if they do them. Um, but unfortunately, it's the short term. Um, and the second you go off the diet or the second you, you know, go a different path, like if, you know, if you're trying to cut your carbs and all of a sudden you have a piece of bread, you know, then there goes the diet in, in people's head. Um, so for the short term, yes, people can be successful with it, but there are side effects to a lot of these diets. Um, one of them just being, you know, feeling like you're being restrictive and maybe not being happy. You know, our food affects our mood, our food affects so much about our life. It could affect our sleep. It could affect our concentration and our focus. So really when we're restricting and taking food groups away from our diet, 
it's really setting us up for failure in the long term, as well as potential medical illnesses or nutritional deficiencies as well. Well, we'll talk about nutritional deficiencies and things like that in just a little bit. We're talking with Dr. Rachel Goldman, licensed psychologist, clinical assistant professor in the Department of Psychiatry at the NYU School of Medicine. Today is Rid the World of Fad Diets and Gimmicks Day, and it's one of the reasons why we're looking in at fad diets. Let's maybe talk about small changes that lead to big changes on your website and in some of the things that, that you've written, Dr. Rachel, and you can find Dr. Rachel's website at drrachelnyc.com. You have talked about small things that can lead to big things, small changes that lead to big changes. How do we get on that track? Yeah, great question. And it's such a great time of year to be talking about this, right, with like New Year's resolutions and everything. But it just comes down to goal setting. Um, I really believe that if people set what we call SMART goals, which actually is an acronym for specific, measurable, attainable, realistic, and timely, if they set these SMART goals, they're able to succeed. And by setting these small SMART goals, it's actually breaking down these big goals. So if somebody's goal was to lose weight, which is not a smart goal for many reasons. But if it was, we could work backwards and figure out, okay, what are the behaviors? What is it going to mean? What, what do I have to change in order to make that happen? So by making these small, small changes, maybe just one change, you know, that we start with, as opposed to this New Year's resolution idea, which is this big lofty goal that, you know, somebody's been wanting to do for years. It's like, where do I even begin? I'm so overwhelmed that's when then we throw the towel in because after a week we can't sustain it. But by making a small change, like maybe, you know, eating more vegetables, like maybe eating a vegetable instead of a card, for instance, or I'm going to walk at least three times this week for 10 minutes, you know, these small, small changes, it doesn't feel like we're making a big change, but it ends up really adding up. And what happens is we're successful because we're able to make small changes they're easy. We can, you know, tweak our schedule and make it happen. And then we keep going. We don't lose motivation because we have this sense of accomplishment and this sense of motivation from doing that. A lot of times someone might hear you say that and say, yeah, but 10 minutes, that that can't do a lot. But Mm -hmm. can 10 minutes turn into 15 minutes, turn into 20 minutes, things like that? Exactly. And I tend to tell my clients, you know, find pockets of time throughout the day to do these little things, you know, and like maybe maybe you don't have 30 minutes to exercise, but you have three 10 minute segments that you can do something. And but also it's important to think about where you are now. You know, if you're not exercising at all, maybe this goal of exercising every day is not realistic. So we have to remember where somebody is and work with that. If they're not even walking for 10 minutes, let's just start with one 10 minute segment. Then somebody does it. They feel accomplished. That's a success. And then maybe we start feeling better. You know, we start having more energy because we got some fresh air for 10 minutes and then we feel motivated to go out for another 10 minutes. So it's all about starting from where you are now and framing these goals in a positive way. So not what I can't do, not like I can't eat carbs, but what I can do or not that, you know, I'm not going to watch TV after dinner, but how about I'm going to take a walk after dinner. And it just happens to be maybe at the time that you were watching TV before, for instance. It is rid the world 
of Fad Diets and Gimmicks Day. And we're talking with Dr. Rachel Goldman, licensed psychologist, clinical assistant professor in the Department of Psychiatry at the NYU School of Medicine. Dr. Rachel, you've been talking about fad diet, sure, but I never hear the term fad exercise. And yet what you've outlined right now is a lot of exercise. How key is getting a little bit of exercise if we're looking to turn those small changes into big changes? Yeah, so exercise, or even I like to just call it physical activity or movement, because sometimes exercise can be overwhelming for people if they're not doing any. But physical activity and movement are so key, really, to a healthy lifestyle. And what I mean by that is both physical and mental health. And I think right now, especially, you know, everybody's mental health is is really being impacted by everything going on in the world. So physical activity is very important. Um, it impacts our sleep. It impacts our mood. It impacts, um, you know, the, the tone of the day. It impacts so much. But, of course, it also impacts, like I said, our physical health. And if somebody's goal is to live a healthier life and maybe their goal is to lose some weight to get healthier, the physical activity is going to help for sure. It's, it's not going to hurt it in any way. Um, so it, it really is, you know, a combined activity is that, that we need to focus on in terms of being healthier and happier which includes, you know, I, I actually talk about certain key health behaviors. One of them is our water intake. One of them is sleep. One of them is the food that we put in our body. One of them is movement or physical activity. And then our me time or, or our stress management. And I think if we can focus on those five things a little bit at a time, but not all at once, we don't want to change everything at one time, um, we can meet our goals and live healthier and happier lives, both physically and mentally. Good stuff. Dr. Rachel, when we're talking about fad diets, it's easy to say the cabbage diet is a fad diet or the soup diet or the cracker diet or, or whatever it is. But you mentioned the Atkins diet. That might stand out. Would that be considered a fad diet? Yeah. So, you know, all of these diets are really considered fad diets. They're like popular for a certain amount of time and then we don't really hear about them quite as much. Um, but, you know, some of them like the Atkins diet, you know, might seem more sustainable for some people, um, you know, and I think that's the key, really. If we think of the real definition of a fad diet, it's something that's more short term, it's popular, it's in the media for a certain amount of time, you know, maybe like fashion fads, right? It like comes and goes. Um, but things like the Atkins diet or some of the other ones, you know, people have been successful with. And what I tend to tell my clients is, you know, find something that they can sustain, um, you know, parts of their lifestyle that are sustainable and that don't make them feel restricted, though. That's the key. When we start feeling restricted is when it's not going to work for us anymore. Dr. Rachel, maybe one other thing, and this comes with a name that doesn't even have diet attached to it, but we hear a lot about the keto lifestyle would that get lumped in with fad stuff right so actually you know i think a lot of people now like to use the term lifestyle instead but keto is a diet um you know it's a ketogenic diet which you know is similar to atkins in a way that it's a high fat diet you know low carb um but it falls under that same category and you know especially with the keto diet though you know, it's something, and, and actually with any of these diets, but more so the keto diet, it's important to be followed up um, with your medical professional or your, or your healthcare professional because sometimes, you know, restricting too much or eating too much of certain foods like high fats can put us at risk 
um, for some other health conditions as well. So if anybody is willing or wanting to try any of these, you know, I, I think it's important to be talking to your medical professional and, and making sure it's safe for you, but also understanding that it is probably not sustainable, at least the way that it's being advertised. You know, I, I, I honestly think the best, quote, diet for people is the one that works for them. And many times that's taking pieces of different diets and incorporating it into your lifestyle and figuring out what is going to work for you and that you can sustain without feeling restricted. Because sometimes you're dealing with diets that restrict the, like you said, the nutrients that you get and that sort of, that can have you feeling lousy, can't it? Exactly, yeah. And I, I think if any quote, diet, again, um, you know, eliminates any specific food group, then that that's a sign right there. Like that's a diet and that's not sustainable and probably not healthy. We shouldn't be eliminating any whole food group. Um, if that's like no carbs or no, you know, fats, we need all of that in our diet. Um, you know, obviously we don't need a ton of it, but we need it. So, you know, kind of working with either a dietitian or a mental, um, mental medical health professional, or even like somebody like myself, um, you know, it's important to be making these changes and making sure you're doing it in a healthy way. Dr. Rachel, thank you for all the information today. We really appreciate the time. Great. Thank you so much. That is Dr. Rachel Goldman, and you can find Dr. Rachel online at drrachelnyc.com. That's DrRachelNYC.com. It is Rid the World of Fad Diets and Gimmicks Day. The Keystone XL Pipeline. It's got a great name. And it had great ambition, especially if you're looking toward provinces like Alberta, who are big oil producers and the idea that we could have crude oil taken from alberta and shipped to the united states through a pipeline that ran across the border that that was big and now we're learning that one of the first things one of the first executive orders that could be issued by u.s president-elect joe biden would be rescinding the keystone pipeline permit so what does this mean It's difficult to know, but it's certainly easy to ask. Joining us right now is Dr. Patrick LeBlanc, who is an associate professor in public and international affairs in the Faculty of Social Sciences at the University of Ottawa. Dr. LeBlanc, thank you so much for taking some time for us. How is Tuesday going for you? Well, so far, so good. Pretty quiet. That's good. In a a pandemic, quiet isn't bad sometimes. Tomorrow, of course, we have the inauguration, the ceremony that will bring in a, a new government in the United States. And we understand, it hasn't happened yet, but we understand from those who have had a peek is, or something that we do understand, is that we could see the cancellation of the Keystone XL pipeline permit by the new president of the United States. In the last day since that became news, how has that gone over? Well, I mean, we should not necessarily be very surprised that this, I mean, might be surprised that it's happening right away, but I think this administration, this new administration wants to come in and really establish uh, basically a, a change with the Trump administration. 
Uh, and obviously one of the, the major issues that uh, President Biden or a president like Biden has, has, has campaigned on and, and the Democrats have been pushing for is obviously the environment. And uh, he had said that he would you know, um, rescind the permits on Keystone Excel, Excel uh, the project, and also, of course, rejoin the, the Paris Accord, which uh, Donald Trump had uh, abandoned. So I think this is all part kind of a package uh, that the, the new administration is putting out there. And, 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 and in, in a way, it's kind of going back to the, the, the Obama administration situation, right? If we remember uh, the Obama administration, of which Biden was the vice president, uh, also had uh, blocked the Keystone Excel project. So uh, in, in that sense, I think it's something that should not come uh, as a surprise to, uh, to, to, to Canadians. And uh, even though the permit had been given, it's not clear that uh, how much progress and in a way how, how big of a, a loss in terms of investments uh, that have already been undertaken that, that will have to be seen. But, you know, in, in the current political context in the U.S., it's, it's, it's something that I think we, we should have seen coming. U.S. President-elect Joe Biden ran on it in his campaign. One of the things that's been raised, Dr. LeBlanc, is how quickly this is happening. What do you make of the idea that it could be among the first executive orders by Joe Biden's government? Well, I think, you know, it's, it's kind of setting the tone right away to, to, uh, to, to establish this, this new administration and, and making clear where it's going. If we remember, the Trump administration did kind of the same thing, except that it was abandoning the Trans-Pacific Partnership and, and, and then it, almost immediately after saying that it was going to renegotiate NAFTA in a way that would be good for the U.S., but not necessarily for Canada or Mexico. And this is exactly what would happen then. So I think in this case, the, the, it's, it's kind of uh, setting the bar right away to say that this new administration will be very much focused on the environment, probably on, on, on you know, labor and, and, and economic recovery. And, and in that sense, the, the Keystone XL is in a way an easy project to kill uh, from this new administration because it's never been something that's hugely popular in the U.S., there's a lot of uh, opposition, uh, environmental opposition, but also in terms of energy. Uh, the Americans don't need it. So ultimately, uh, the, the whole point pretty much of, of having that pipeline is, that, is so that we can kind of send it all the way to Louisiana so it can be exported to uh, international markets since we have problems getting it to international markets on our own. Uh, so ultimately, it's almost, you know, for the Americans, it's, it doesn't have a lot of strategic value anymore since they are almost, uh, uh, sufficient in terms of their own production, and, and obviously, this, uh, this, uh, just like Trump, but also uh, Biden believes in the sort of the buy America. So instead of buying our oil, obviously they're going to buy their oil, and, and they're going to push probably to to produce more of their own. So in a way, the context has changed since Keystone Excel was was planned, and 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 that will make it makes it a very difficult sell in in, in the U.S. political context, especially with a Democratic uh, dominated Congress. We are talking with Dr. Patrick LeBlanc, who is an associate professor in public and international affairs in the Faculty of Social Sciences at the University of Ottawa, looking at the idea that U.S. President-elect, soon-to-be U.S. President Joe Biden, has an executive order that has reportedly been seen that would rescind the permit for the Keystone XL pipeline. Dr. LeBlanc, we always hear that our country has such ties to either fossil fuels or to oil how big is that tie exactly? Well, I mean, any uh, fossil fuel production 
is is you know is is environmentally not not great. Obviously, uh, it's not a renewable energy. There are uh, carbon emissions uh, associated with that. But in our context, especially with the tar sands or the, uh, the, 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 the 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 problem is that it's a highly uh, energy-intensive, carbon-emitting uh, type of production. So uh, it's it's got a very bad reputation compared to, let's say, Saudi oil, where, you know, as far as someone described it to me once, is that you, you, you put a, a pipe in the sand and basically the oil flows out, whereas we have to mine it, dig it out of the, of the ground, and then separate basically the oil from the sand. And all that requires, obviously, a lot of energy itself. And, and, and when there is you know that process, there there are emissions associated with that. Uh, so in that context, uh, environmentalists um, already are against the use of fossil fuels. They they want uh, obviously the, the planet to use less and less uh, in cars and all that, which is why uh, electric electrical vehicles are so popular these days. Uh, but at the same time, they're even less keen on uh, Alberta oil that comes from the tar sands. Um, or the oil sands, as we should say here in Canada, uh, because they see it as, as highly polluting and, and carbon emitting. And uh, they, 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 they've done a lot of pressure both in, in Europe and especially in the U.S. and saying, well, look, uh, you know, this, 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 we should not, if, if, we're, if, if a party is pro-environment, uh, it should not support uh, that kind of oil production. And, and, and they've made that case very strong. And, and uh, there, there is a strong environmental kind of movement and group within the Democratic Party, and uh, it resonates. And, and I think Biden is trying to, uh, to, to tap into that and, and to show that the Americans want to do good since they are the, the, the largest emitter of, of, um, uh, of carbon in, 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 in the world. So uh, they've got to be showing the way, and if they want to lead again, that these are the kinds of projects that they might decide not to do, especially if it doesn't cost them that much. Unfortunately, it costs us. Well, we'll see how much it does cost, how much has been spent so far. I'm sure someone will grab a calculator and add that up if, in fact, this is what takes place. Dr. Lalonde, before we let you go, you mentioned NAFTA, and you've done such great work on NAFTA and understanding the new trade deal and, and all of those sorts of things. What do you think we need to know going into this next U.S. administration as it comes to a trade deal between our two countries like the new NAFTA? Well, I, I think, you know, right now the, the, the we have an agreement and that, that's the one that stands. And I don't think that the, the, the Biden administration will want to, to, to renegotiate anything on that. You know, it's done and, and let's move on. The only thing that, that might change in the future and we'll, we'll see where the, the, the Biden administration wants to move is whether the United States wants to reintegrate the Trans-Pacific Partnership. Uh, of which we are a part of, and, and the door is still open for the U.S. to come back in. And, and in that case, uh, potentially, that we would have to see how they would kind of work in parallel. That, that's one of the issues. If the Americans were to reintegrate the, the Trans-Pacific Partnership, which includes the U.S., uh, sorry, Mexico and Canada, uh, then what would happen to the, the current uh, NAFTA 2.0? And 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 uh, the provisions that are there, and that that's something that probably would lead to some kind of negotiations. But I, I don't see that in in the, the the near future. I think this is something that the Biden administration might want to do, you know, in year two or year three of um, uh, of uh, of being in office. Well, we really appreciate your time and your insight today, Doctor LeBlanc. Keep safe. You too. Thank you very much. And it's Doctor Patrick LeBlanc, associate professor 
of Public and International Affairs in the Faculty of Social Sciences at the University of Ottawa. So some talk about the Keystone XL pipeline permit and the idea that there's an executive order that has been reported about that would see it canceled so that we would not have that happen. And that does impact Alberta uh, to the tune of what? We're not exactly sure at the moment. But as Dr. LeBlanc says, the U.S. is basically self-sufficient in their own oil production. And so why would they want to do this? How much of an impact does it have on us? Well, that one is one of those things that unfortunately remains to be seen but it certainly is something that we will hear more information about simply because it seems to have caught some people off guard that it would happen this quickly, even though U.S. President-elect Joe Biden had it included in his campaign promises. You ever find yourself feeling, I don't know, just you can't settle down, you can't relax, especially with some of the stresses that exist right now? Well, it's a thing, and I've been kind of looking around to see how to get into something as simple as meditation. And Matt McNaughton happened to mention on Let's Talk London with Jess Brady, which is coming up in about 13 minutes, that, Matt, you've been doing this. How did you get into meditation is it am i even saying that right i probably sound like an old guy saying it like that (laughs) yeah no it's uh you're saying it correctly meditation is um kind of a broad term for a variety of different ways to meditate uh it's really kind of all-encompassing there's guided meditation mantra meditation uh tai chi is a type of meditation as well transcendental but uh uh yeah it's, it's it's just a very broad and really interesting thing to to start up. So what got you looking into it? It started for me uh, in my first round of university. I was going to Huron University College uh, to do a bachelor's of uh, theological ethics. Um, and while I was there, I, I could never really shake this interest I had in kind of East Asian studies and religions and all that. And uh, during my research there, during a few of the classes I took, I wound up always kind of coming back to uh, Buddhism in particular and reading a lot of books on Buddhism. And uh, I came across a book one day called The Zen Bridge by a uh, former Buddhist master named Keito Fukushima. And, you know, I, I wanted to read the book just out of curiosity, but in the book, he details how to meditate and uh, he goes through very detailed steps of, you know, the, the proper way to sit, the proper way to hold your legs, your hands, how to breathe. And I just decided to try it after reading the book. And I found that it was shockingly helpful, at least for me. And in terms of of kind of getting started, was it something you just kind of looked at a few of the instructions and said, OK, here we go? Or do you get guidance from someone in person? What was the way that you got going? Uh, I personally did it all myself. I I really kind of, uh, it helped that the book I read was very clear in kind of the right way to do things. And then if there was something I wasn't uh, really too fully sure on, you know, how to properly perform, then I actually would go to YouTube. YouTube is an incredible source if you are interested in starting meditation because the the guides are very, very clear. It You know, it helps having a video to describe things for you. So, yeah, I kind of started off all by myself and, and went from there. 
No different than tiling a floor or anything else that comes up. You can go to the Internet and find a video of somebody who says, yeah, 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 you can tile a floor. Here's what you do. Here are the steps. When you look at what this has done for you, what would you pinpoint as being something that maybe feels different now than before you began to do it? Uh, for sure. One of the biggest benefits that uh, meditation has, at least in my life and in the lives of many other people who've practiced, is um, the the mental health benefits. Uh, I'm a person, you know, throughout my life, I've dealt with uh, obsessive compulsive disorder and, and a couple other things. And I found that the way, I mean, if you are meditating correctly, of course, when you're going through it, it helps take those anxieties, fears and stresses that uh, you might have, even if you're not struggling with mental health, even if you're just going through maybe like a rough patch at work or something like that, it'll really help you uh, kind of not forget the negative, but lessen the impact it has on your mind and then subsequently your body, frankly. The less stressed you are uh, you know, mentally, it'll definitely benefit you physically as well. So that, that's been kind of the biggest benefit for me. We're talking with Matt McNaughton about meditation. You mentioned there are various types and certainly you have to find what works right for you you meditate with your eyes open right yeah and and that's a um you know of course there's the the common uh common image of meditation where you sit cross-legged on the floor with your uh uh, you know, your kind of hands out in that like, you know, circle made with your index finger and thumb and and all that. And, uh, you know, if that works for people, it's perfectly valid. But when I was reading that book, The Zen Bridge and uh, uh, Keira Fukushima was specifically talking about what to do, he made it very, very clear that you shouldn't close your eyes and that closing your eyes actually has the potential to defeat the purpose of the meditation because, you can fall asleep or, or get too lost in your own head. It's, you know, when you relax your body, your eyes don't really fully close. They kind of go half closed. Um, and that's what they specify to do. Interesting. And have you tried it both ways where your eyes kind of remain somewhat open and, and your eyes are closed? Yeah, I have. And I actually found myself, uh, if I tried to meditate with my eyes closed, I found myself focused on keeping them closed if that makes any sense. Because, I mean, typically uh, when I meditate, it's, you know, I'm, I'm a pretty fully conscious and awake. So, it, you know, holding my eyes shut for a prolonged period of time doesn't really feel natural. Whereas if you're, you know, in a proper meditation and your body just relaxes, the way your eyes kind of naturally fall into place, uh, you know, your eyelids relax again, you're just kind of feeling... Uh, feeling conscious and well you don't have to focus on your eyes at all if that makes sense you don't put any extra attention to a certain point of your body finally has this become a daily thing is it a thing when you feel you need it how do you make use of meditation in your life i used to do it daily um at least as much as i could and and uh, i think that if you're trying to start out with meditating uh trying to do it daily is pretty important because um, you know, of course, in, in Buddhism in particular, like proper Buddhist monks, they'll meditate. They'll be in that sitting position for an incredibly long time. We're talking like eight plus hours a day. Um, but of course, no one can do that starting out. So I, I started daily so I could get used to it. You know, I, I first started off trying to do 10 minutes and then 15 and then 20 
and so on and so on. But now I, uh, unfortunately, I'm just a little bit busy and life gets in the way sometimes. But uh, I, I try to do it um, a few times a, a week. I'll try to do at least you know four or five times a week if I can. Well, Matt, thank you for how you got into it and a little bit more about it because it's something I don't know about everybody else. Uh, I, I got to find something, and that may be it. Matt, really appreciate this. Yeah, no problem. Thanks for having me on. You've been listening to the London Live Podcast. Catch the show live on weekdays from 1 to 3.